yeah, so my blow quiz, um, it is just a fun little interactive um, quiz, which kind of helps you identify based on where your bloat is, based on um, what your pattern of bloating is, what your pattern of bowel movements related to your bloating is, to really kind of just give you a some information on what could be going on. Welcome to the Daily Dietitian Podcast. I am your host, Stacey Mitchell. I am so happy to have you here. My goal for this podcast is to break down the latest health topics and help clear the clutter in the messy world of nutrition and fitness. We hope to inspire, educate, and entertain all things wellness. Join us as we talk with experts in their fields on how to feel our best in our own body and mind. Hey there. Well, today we are talking about a topic of gut health and specifically learning what is IBS or irritable bowel syndrome and another gut syndrome called SIBO. We talk with registered dietitian Katrina Cox, the specialist in this area, and she shares so much knowledge on this topic. I found it fascinating. When we talk about the gut, do you know what else we also talk about? Yeah bowel movements, and all those not-so-fun symptoms that come along with this condition. I'm sure you know someone with IBS, and it comes with debilitating symptoms that may hurt your relationship with food. In this episode, you will learn what IBS and SIBO are, the symptoms, how to treat and test for these conditions, and so much more. Join us for this conversation. Well, Katrina, it is so great to have you here with us. Will you introduce yourself and tell everyone who you are and what you do? Yeah, my name is Katrina Cox, um, and I am a registered dietitian. I specialize in working with women to help them with their IBS and SIBO, um, but really helping gut health and really helping them rebuild and get rid of their unwanted bloating gas, helping them regulate their bowel habits, um, and just living their life again, something free. That is something we all need and something we really don't like to talk about all those unwanted symptoms, but there are some very helpful methods through nutrition. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm trying to break the stigma against poop um, because it's, it is. It's not something we talk about, but it's, it's crazy how many people actually do suffer from IBS. And now we're finding more and more people suffering with SIBO as well. Um, and diet is 100% um, helpful when it comes to that. And that is is an issue for a lot of women where it affects your entire life. It affects your entire day of going places or doing things. It just, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, you're always on your mind. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're going out to eat, you not only have to think about what you're eating, you have to think, you have to know exactly where every bathroom is because you don't know. Um, it could be something you eat, could be something just randomly happening um, and you're not in the comfort of your home. So even just leaving the house becomes a chore because it's something that you have to plan out. And even with the perfect plan, your symptoms can be unpredictable. Now, 
let's explain what IBS is because I know that's kind of a blanket of different symptoms. Yeah, so IBS is irritable bowel syndrome, and it's actually um, a diagnosis based on exclusion. So what that means is there isn't like a test that you can, like a blood test, or you can't actually see it on a scope or like an endoscopy or a colonoscopy. It is, you have to rule out certain conditions like Crohn's disease, IBD, irritable bowel, colitis, and celiac, all of those things. Um, And then you also have to have specific criteria. So um, bloating, X times day, or, and like your bowel habits have to um, meet this pattern of criteria. Um, they are unknown on why it actually happens. Um, it's still up in the air. They basically say it's a functional um, diagnosis. So it could be due to your brain gut access. So basically, there's an interruption between your brain and your gut. Um, they also have been seeing a lot more where SIBO is actually causing IBS. So post-infectious IBS. Um, so coming from like food poisoning or even like a bad GI bug, things are coming upon that, coming from that as well. Um, but IBS in itself, it's just one of those things. Yes, it's a blanket statement. There is criteria, but there's just no way to test whether or not that's oh. the, what you have. That gets a little frustrating. And SIBO, what does that stand for? So SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, And what that is, is essentially in our microbiome, we want, we want bugs. We want, um, we want the bacteria. We want the fungi. There are certain things that are actually very beneficial in our microbiome. um, But where we want that is our large intestines. And when we have that in our large intestines, they turn into, um, they're fermented, they're, they use the food that we eat, and they, and the byproducts that we get are like vitamins, and um, it helps our immune system, helps us make essential fatty acids, which is great for many different things. Um, however, not the case when it's in your small intestines. So basically, when it, we have small um, SIBO, our small intestines should be sterile. We shouldn't have bacteria in our small intestines. Um, And it either happens due to a motility issue. So um, whether or not that is due to the food poisoning or it's due to even brain injuries can change your motility. Um, And then there could also be digestive issues. If you have things like H. pylori or if if you've had a history of NSAID use, so a lot of ibuprofen or even PPIs and um, like uh, Prilosec and all of that for heartburn, that can actually lower our digestion, which that in turn can be something that leads to SIBO as well. Um, and the last thing is really structural. So if you've had surgery, abdominal surgery, um, endometriosis can lead to adhesions, which can kind of lock your pathways Um And those are all things that could cause SIBO to happen. 
Oh, you're so interesting. Um, I'm like just fascinated <laughs> listening to all this. And just as a little reminder on the anatomy physiology, you have when food enters, it enters your esophagus, then your stomach, then the small intestines, mm-hmm. then the large intestines, and out it goes. Yeah. Okay. Just so we know that where it's all coming <laughs> from um, on that mm-hmm. part of it. So it's the problem in the small intestines for the SIBO where this uh, overgrowth is happening. Right. Yeah. So basically something is stopping it from getting to the large intestine where it belongs. Um, and all of those reasons And there's just so much that's coming up on what your root cause could be um, to have SIBO. Now with SIBO, it seems like um, there's a cause, you treat it, and then you can be so-called cured from that? Yeah. So Unfortunately, it's not as easy as just like taking an antibiotic. And I feel like that is um, what a lot of my clients hope for. And I wish that upon them. Um, But the thing is, so it's not a virus or it's not a um, infection. So when you have something like that, you take an antibiotic or you take an antiviral um, and it just makes it go away and it doesn't come back. Um, but we have to kind of treat SIBO as a symptom of the bigger picture. So really, SIBO is happening due to all of those things I mentioned earlier, or one, one or, or more than one of those things that I mentioned earlier. Um, so the antibiotic or the herbal that you take is to initially clear that SIBO. Um, so clearing it so it kind of attacks all the bugs that are in your small intestines and gets rid of them. Um, however, if you're not fixing that root cause on why the SIBO can't happen in the first place, you'll continue to relapse. So it's not something that will just go away and be gone forever. You absolutely can cure it, but you also have to be digging into that root cause. Gotcha. Is there a specific test for SIBO to test your overgrowth bacteria in your small intestines? Yeah, definitely. So right now, um, the two things that are actually scientifically proven um, to test for SIBO would be, one, a biopsy, which is super invasive, and not a lot of GI doctors actually um, do this procedure because it's, it's pretty intensive. Um, So that is one way, but that's not the most common way. So the most common way that has been um, in literature is the breath test. So a SIBO breath test. So what happens is when you have SIBO, the so I talked about the byproducts of the large intestines, the byproducts of the small intestines are not things that we want. They're actually gas production. So you produce um, when it consumes whatever you're eating, it turns into gases. Um, and these gases are what's leading to your symptoms. Um, so what these breath tests monitor and show are the production of gases that are happening in your small intestines. Um, and there's three gases. There's hydrogen, methane, and hydrogen sulfide. Um, and you, so you take a you drink a certain drink. Um, it's either a glucose or a lactulose solution, and that becomes the fuel um, during the test. And every 15 minutes, you blow into 
um, a bag and they test your gases. Um, so they have determined at the 90 minute mark is when your this starts to go into your large intestines. So if there's ever a jump before that 90 minute mark, then you're positive for SIBO. Do you find this testing common? So do I find it common? Like, is it um, a test that doctors do a lot if they're having like IBS type symptoms? Um, I mean, there are definitely doctors that are more prone to testing. I definitely, I test my, my clients oh, okay. um, for breath testing. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and it's very, it's common in the fact that they're available. Okay. Um, so whether or not the doctor, I mean, that's, that's up to the doctor too, right. if they want to, but it is definitely readily available um, and becoming more and more popular. So what type of dietary uh, patterns should someone start adapting to relieve these symptoms? Yeah, so the initial thing that I, and there are many diets are out there, um, as you probably know, um, it's just like any other condition where there's just like, this is going to make you feel 100%. Um, so again, there are a lot of diets out there. Most of them are so, so, so restrictive, and I don't like going super strict when it comes to your gut because you need to preserve that microbiome because you don't want to completely wipe it out. Um, so I adapt a certain, like a modified version of the low FODMAP diet. And um, what that is, is it takes away, it's basically a group of carbohydrates um, that oftentimes are highly fermentable. So they will lead to more of those symptoms um, in someone with IBS or SIBO. So typically for symptom control, I would do that. It's a three-part diet. So you start off with your elimination phase, um, and then you strategically place, replace the foods and add them back into your diet. And then the maintenance phase is basically what foods did you do well in, what foods did you maybe not do well in, um, and you adapt a, a diet based on that. Um, so that's how I kind of help with my symptoms symptom relief, um, but really, really, really focusing on that reintroduction phase because that is the most important part, um, and I feel like a lot of people get stuck in that elimination phase because they feel good, um, but eventually, you're taking away a lot of great food um, because FODMAPs aren't bad. They're just, in, in the meantime, you may not tolerate them, um, so it's important to really get through the whole process of introducing to. It's just kind of a time where the gut can heal a little bit and regroup, and then it's well enough where it can add back the, the normal eating patterns or normal eating foods that were once there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. And the reason for carbohydrates, and we should probably back up, carbohydrates from fruits, from grains, from what else am I missing? Dairy, lactose, lactose yes. Mm -hmm. They all break down into the component of glucose or some form of that, and that's a sugar molecule, which that sugar molecule is feeding the bacteria, so that's why we are eliminating some of those carbohydrates. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Right. And even someone with IBS or SIBO, they're not necessarily going to have a reaction to every single type of this carbohydrate. Those are just ones that um, could be problematic for some people. Right. Awesome. So for the IBS, what common dietary patterns would be helpful in that area? Um, So specifically IBS, do you mean like diets? Yeah. to help with that yes. or lifestyle change. Yeah. So the low FODMAP diet is also something that I use for my mm-hmm. IBS clients, so either one. Gotcha. Um, but also what's really important when it comes to IBS is really getting to the basics as well, making sure that you're getting the right amount of fiber and the right types of fiber, um, making sure that you're getting the right exercise. Sometimes people are just so used to just like, trying to exercise off that bloat that sometimes a lower impact exercise is better for um, you and your gut, at least at the time when you're healing. Um, Other things would be that like uh, nervous system support. So if there is any issues with, um, I like to call them (laughs) nervous poops and that kind of thing, you need to really need to work on how to get out of that fight or flight. Um, So there's a lot of different things that I use that with diet, um, that is really important when it comes to IBS. When you were talking about the exercise and movement, it reminds me of when, you know, you would have a fussy baby and then you just move the legs, be like, oh, like, they just need to get some gas going on. <laughs> and that is That's really true. Effective. It's true for us too. <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. And we could just sit there and just, if I wish, that would be great. (laughs) It works for babies, though, for sure. It does. So, again, just getting out for a walk and moving a little might might help something go, get going, too. Yes. Absolutely. As I'm thinking about this, is there um, a connection with a female's time of the month with with these type of symptoms? Because... My my friend and I call them period poops, and I think your your balls are kind of off during that time. Yes, absolutely, because <laughs> of all the changes in hormones. Right. So, I mean, at different types of your cycle, you can actually have different symptoms too, um, and they can ramp up if you already have issues, um, like some around your ovulation time. Um, oftentimes, you can actually have lower. Um, motility, so that can actually lead to more of the constipation, and then, um, and then you typically feel good right after that, um, and things get back to normal. And then once, like right before your period, then your hormones shift again, um, and you can actually um, have the period poops and the diarrhea, um, and that can actually happen as well. And then it's, it really does go by your cycle for sure. Oh, the, all the nuances that we have to deal with every month. It's like just when we think we get something figured out and something else kind of comes up and it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> there's that too. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Gut, gut health is one of them. There's so many nuances, for sure. In one of your posts, I see here the impact of fasting on SIBO and not like huge intermittent fasting. You're talking about eat within an eight-hour time frame and 16-hour fast, which I have looked at the science on that, and there's so many good little tidbits on that. Can you reflect on that a little bit more? Yeah, so that one always is a popular one because I feel like so many people, especially in the gut health um, realm, they are always saying fasting is really good for your gut. It helps, like, will give you that bowel rest um, and kind of reset. And SIBO specifically, so we have something called a our migrating motor complex, and that migrating motor complex is kind of our housekeeper of our gut. So every um, three to four hours, it does cycles where it kind of just pushes everything along. Um, and sometimes, like, when it comes, I could get totally geek out and get into it, but it, when we have, like, something like food poisoning or post-infectious, your migrating mo- motor complex is actually affected so it doesn't work as properly so meal spacing gives your body that time to make to appropriately get rid of the food in between um so with that yes you want to space out your meals um but i feel like the intermittent fasting world is more like huge times off and you're eating in this small window um and what happens there is yes, you have a lot of time during that fasting window to get your migrating motor complex going. However, you're having a shorter time in between, which means you don't have room to meal space in between your meals, which means you're eating it on top of eating on top of eating without really letting that migrating motor motor complex do its thing. I am all about like a 12-hour overnight fast, basically sleeping. Um, I, I am definitely on board with that, but when it becomes really large, where your window becomes so small, um, it ends up being backfiring, whether it is due to the fact that, like I said, you don't have time to space out in between, or you're not getting an adequate nutrition. Um, a lot of times, people feel like they can get everything they need in that short amount of time, and it, it's hard. <laughs> And we live in a society where we think 1,200 calories is normal for a a woman. And you and I both know that is not the case. And um, anything more than 1,200 calories in that small time frame, that's hard. It's hard to do. So Similar to if someone were to um, go on a low-carb diet or a keto diet, they would they're missing out on a lot of those, those nutrients that would be helpful for the gut as well. Yeah, absolutely. They've actually done studies on the keto diet that your microbiome gets um, really affected even with like, I forget exactly the study, I'd have to look it up, but even like a week on the keto diet, they saw changes in your microbiome. So it was, it, it's, it, they need it, your body needs it, You're, you need all of that carbohydrates. And Unfortunately, it just keeps getting more and more. Now we're on the carnivore diet, and oh my goodness, I just want to hit my head on the wall. <laughs> but it's, there's a lot out there, and I do find that um, 
even before you have any gut issues, sometimes it can even lead to that because you're starving that bacteria. Yeah. Um, and when we talk about the microbiome, that's all the good bacteria in our gut that they're getting a lot of new science out there that's showing the connection with uh, certain diseases and brain health and so much more that's just so much fun to learn about. Yeah, absolutely. I like I completely mm-hmm. dig into that <laughs> all the time. And it's just that's definitely a nuance. I mean, they're looking, they're trying to do more of like mapping and seeing if you can get your that evidence is not quite there yet, but um, but yeah, it's wild the connection between that and your skin or your weight or it's just there's a lot of connections. So keep that gut healthy and and uh, provide lots of variety of foods in there. <laughs> Absolutely, yep. Sure. Um, any popular reels or posts that have resonated with your audience? So I did see that. So it really the the ones that resonate the most, I think, are my. I try to be funny. I try to make poop funny. Um, but I do find that like the there's definitely reels that are more um, relatable. So I find like the relatable ones and the ones that you can actually maybe not talk about with your spouse or your kids or anything. Um, so I think my most popular ones have been um let me look recently um when you get served a trigger food and you have no you didn't know that it was coming um and then it leads you to have the rumble guts um and i find informational the biggest ones are the what the posts that do tie into other conditions like weight gain and SIBO, um, that one's always a big one because a lot of people do have weight changes when it comes to SIBO. Um, and then other ones would be really the basics of SIBO as well, facts that you might not know. Um, I have a post where you're just kind of getting down to the basics. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I feel like relatable ones are always the biggest ones, but also ones that they, they can learn something. So the connections, I, I like those as well. Is waking a common symptom of SIBO? So it depends on what type of SIBO you have. Okay. So um, hydrogen is typically weight loss because that is you're more prone to having diarrhea. Um, and then methane um that actually slows your motility so you're more prone to have weight gain with methane um so it really depends on which one which is another reason why it's it's important to test to see what you're working with to really um know exactly how to treat and how to what protocol to be on that testing gets fun to know to know where it's coming from and and finding the root cause, which is your main method. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's just one step too uh, to get to the root cause. And I feel like a lot of people are like, "What test do I get to get to my root cause?" And it's there isn't really a specific test. It's more looking at patterns, looking at your history. So I look at food diaries. I look at stool diaries. I look at every different potential we look at labs like like your thyroid um sometimes looking into things even like your hormone panels like we were talking about there's a lot of different things um 
to look into, and there's not just that one test, unfortunately. Um, you need that T-shirt from, I think it's the, the Dietitian Donut Season. She's like a graphic designer, too. Have you seen it? I think it says, I, I think it says oh, I dietitian, dietitian, and then on the corner it says, have a nice poop. <laughs> yes, that is perfect. Yeah, that actually brings me to one of my reels. There was the, the TMI uh, sound that had been going along. That one, that one definitely <laughs> resonated, especially for my clients, because I can't tell you how many times people are like, this is too much information. I'm like, there's no such thing as too much information. <laughs> for me like you won't be no one will be able to see this but Stacey can see the little poop emoji oh, <laughs> character in the back so it's one of those things that like yeah there's never too much information no it's just it, it, it's a part of it it's all part and in, in learning about it and diagnosing it and treating it all the above yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and you can learn so much you can really learn so much about it and I I mean, everybody does it, so I'm I'm don't understand why it's such a stigma. <laughs> yes, uh, you have a bloat quiz. Tell us more about that. Oh yes, yeah. so my bloat quiz. Um, it is just a fun little interactive um, quiz, which kind of helps you identify based on where your bloat is, based on um, what your pattern of bloating is, what your pattern of bowel movements related to your bloating is to really kind of just give you a some information on what could be going on. Um, this is definitely not a diagnosis by any means, but um, by patterns you can start, you can kind of see whether or not it is some showing patterns of SIBO, showing, showing patterns of IBS, or even H. pylori and like the upper GI. Um, so yeah, I, I have uh, the blow quiz, which will give you just a little bit more background on what could be happening. Very helpful. Awesome. Uh, what type of courses and resources do you have for your clients? Yeah, so right now, um, my signature program is my hybrid one-on-one -on -one and group coaching. So um, you get that individual coaching with me, but then you also get that group setting, which is nice to have um, like-minded women that are also going through the same thing and you get your individual protocols just in a group setting. Um, and then I do have my standalone course that I'm going to be phasing out and we're actually going to be turning it into a membership. That is my newest project to be determined. Um, but yeah, so right now my biggest thing is my, um, my small group hybrid program. And where can people find and connect with you? So I'm mostly hanging out on Instagram, um, ibs.sibo.dietitian. Um, one day, maybe I'll, I'll get into the TikTok world, but for now. <laughs> I think you might blow up in the TikTok world because... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I feel like I would too. I just need to have. I wish I had more time in the day. That's right. The right. Um, any last takeaways for someone struggling with these types of symptoms? Um, my biggest thing is to be your best advocate because um, when it comes to IBS and SIBO. It can take years to get a diagnosis, um, and it's one of those things, if you don't think there's something right, no matter what 
what normal value lab values you get back, then you need to advocate for yourself and you need to find someone that will be there by your side and really dig deep into figuring out what is going on. Um, and always testing when you need testing, asking for tests, asking for labs. Um, that is really my biggest advice for anybody going through it. Great information. We could talk, we could get really nerdy and talk gut health and microbiome and all that good stuff uh, for hours here. But I, oh my gosh, I, I, <laughs> I appreciate your expertise here so much. And thank you for sharing your information so everyone can connect with you. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Katrina is a wealth of knowledge. I had so much fun learning more about gut health and IBS and the symptoms and the treatments. We could talk forever about gut health, but if you know someone struggling with these symptoms, be sure to share this episode and have them connect with Katrina because she is the expert here that has been working with clients for over 10 years in this topic. I hope this episode has helped you learn more about these conditions and be an advocate for your health. If you can feel better through food and have a better relationship with food, that is the goal here on this podcast. And to close, call me crazy, <laughs> but I have to. I have to end with a joke that's fitting for this topic. You can share this with your kids. I'm, I'm sure they would enjoy this joke. Um, anyway. Have you seen the movie Constipation? No? Well, it never came out. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. I, I had to. I did. Okay, so thank you so much for spending your time here with us on the Daily Dietitian Podcast. <laughs>